With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to episode 154 of the Stratocast. My name is Dale O'Donnell, your host, and I am joined by Sean Connolly, my co-host. Sean, it's been a while since we last recorded. Manchester United have four wins on the bounce in the Premier League. Bit of a hiccup in the Europa League, but we came back last week um, against Moldovan outfit, uh, Sheriff, and got back to winning ways. So it's been a good one for Manchester United, I think you'll agree. It has, it has, and I think the uh, the common denominator for United success is the fact that we haven't been talking. So I don't know, are we doing right by having this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it, it, we're starting on a positive note. I, I think it's it it's been a while since we've had a run of po- positive podcasts, so we hopefully keep it that way. And um, we're going to do a bit of an international break review, um, which will be Lovely. relatively short podcast. So it's, we're going to go through some of the kind of key points of the season thus far. Sean, I'm going to get the ball rolling with the first point. Um, Who's been your best player so far since the season began? I think there's a number of players that you could give an answer for that, and that's probably testament to the performances, how they've improved over the last month. But for me, as good as several individuals have been, there's been one man making it all take over, and that's Christian Eriksen. I think he has been the revelation that I had hoped he would have been when we spoke about him all those months ago before he was even a United player. Mm. He's calm, he's composed, he dictates play. He's a leader on the field as well because you can see him orchestrating even without the ball. He's very vocal. And I can only imagine that that presence is felt inside in the dressing room as well because Mm -hmm. I'd imagine even from a footballing perspective, I'd say the players have a serious respect for him after what he's after coming back from in his life. So for me, Christian Eriksen. Yeah, it's a good shout. Look, I'm not, I can't disagree with that. There was two people in my mind. One of them was Eriksen. I'm going to give it to Martinez um, for, for the simple reason of the kind of personality he's brought to the team. And I think... You've mentioned Ericsson's class, and we, we definitely needed that midfield because it was non-existent 
last season, that class that he produces in midfield, those passes to absolutely destroy defences. But what the team also needed was a, a bite. And I think Martinez's influence in that defence, not only was the, the player of the month in his first month at the club, but the influence is, that's kind of rubbed off on the likes of Diego Dallo, who I'm sure we'll talk about shortly. Um, I just think it's after breeding throughout the team and people like Bruno Fernandes are going to love that. And I, I think that's going to really show as season goes on. It's, it, we're probably not far away from his first red card, though, uh, Sean. Um, so, so someone mm. that's just, just come in. Um, you have written about Martinez previously for Strati News. Like, has he hit the ground running like you expected, or have you been a little bit surprised? Oh, I, I, I don't think anybody could have expected such an impact so quickly. I mean, he, he was obviously extremely good in that Ajax system and extremely good in the Eredivisie. Generally speaking, when players come to the league, particularly when they're coming from a league that maybe has such less quality than what is actually presented in the Premier League, it will take a bit of time for him to settle. But he has literally come in. He's had a bit of a, a shaky start in the first couple of games, but I think a lot of that can be attributed to the way that the actual team was set up itself, which is something we'll probably touch on as well. How he has come to grips with the system, with the style of play, and with the type of physicality that the Premier League has, I'm absolutely surprised with it. I really, really am. Like, I mean, obviously, we, we knew this was going to be a good player, but he's a little bit better than good in the space of a month, which is, is frightening. It goes back to the transfer policy because I've seen it now that we're at an international break and more people are kind of analysing the signings we've made. And during the summer, some people were kind of critical that our policy was based on Eredivisie players and players that Ten Hag had had previous relationships rather than really kind of going out and scouting players. And I understand the criticisms, but in fairness to Eric Ten Hag, we just asked the question on the best player so far and the two people we put forward are new signings. Um, that's really impressive. We haven't mentioned Tyrell Mar- Malasia. I think he's been fantastic as well. I think he's been really, really good for United. Yeah, he's yeah. been an excellent addition. He's tenacious at the back. He, he co- Another player that's coming in with the right attitude. And, and, and the attitude too as a young player to come in in a position where was previously fulfilled by Luke Shaw who fought off kind of a little bit of competition from Alex Tellez. But Malasi has come in and said, that position is mine. I'm taking that position. And, and you know what? I can't see Luke Shaw getting it back, Sean. No, no. And as well as that, you're making reference to, to Malasia. He was actually speaking today. Obviously, he's gone away now in international duty. And um, he was asked about his time at the club, I suppose in this short period of time and how he settled. And even though it was a very, very short response, he immediately turned to crediting the manager in how quickly the manager has got his vision across to the players and how quickly the dressing room has bought into what the manager is saying. When you've got a guy who's so young and so new to a league, to be that vocally expressive of his admiration of the manager and what the actual team and the dressing room is feeling towards it is huge. I mean, it helps that he's very very similar to martin is is after hitting the ground running and he looks like a duck to water it's i mean i'm I'm blown away really and truly by how well these two boys have settled i mean we've got a player obviously sitting in between the two of them and rafael varan who everybody knows of his quality and his class it's just 
him staying fit really was the only sort of concern it's that we've the had one and... fear that I have over the international break. I know it's him I know. not coming back fit because we can rave on about Martinez and, and, and so on, but he's really found the perfect partner in Varane. And the biggest fear I think United fans can have right now is him staying fit. Oh, big time, big time. And that's that's the worry and that's the concern based on the track record that we have seen. I mean, pretty much every so, time he goes away, he gets injured. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, and um, that's the concern. And you're you're looking at it even during the games when he's playing for United. That if he goes in for a hard challenge or if he's going up for a, a pretty big aerial duel, you're worried about how he's going to hit the ground. Or his knee's going to feel it anyway, or his ankle's going to feel it anyway. And uh, yeah, it's a concern. But just just to add extra concern as well, Sean, is that mm. it was previously reported by the MEN that Ten Hag had given a kind of a different tra- ra- training regime to Varane um, to kind of tackle the injuries he had last season. Now, if that's the case, I highly doubt he's doing the same thing when he's with France, which I think causes a bit of a worry for me because since he's been doing that new training regime, he's managed to stay fit and his performance levels, I think since he's joined the club, are at a peak level now. It's not a time where he wants to pick up any niggles or, or knocks. No, but I'd imagine he's working with, obviously he's working with nutritionists and dietitians and all that, but I'd imagine he's working with PTs and individuals that are managing his particular situation. I mean, his, his track record is incredibly clear. It's very obvious for anybody about the injury track record he has. Why we're talking about it, but there's going to be professionals that are well, well used to this and have probably analyzed the sort of injuries that he was getting and maybe trying to help him to, to strengthen against those particular injuries in, in training and, and, and in the training room, you know, so... You're putting my mind at rest, but I don't I don't trust the French national team. Um, well, there's not a whole lot of trust going to really come out of the French national team, is there? <laughs> but uh, I um, I suppose the one the one bit of... Um, the one bit of joy we have is that there's no Pogba going away this time, you know? So, Should I just, uh, just comment on that? Because we're talking about... You mentioned Malasia doing an inter- interview while story international break, praising the manager bigging up the environment that Manchester United and kind of giving us all a feeler that things are improving. Bruno Fernandes, the same thing, sat down with the Athletic and spoke at length about, spoke highly of Solskjaer um, and his bid to sign him, but also spoke very highly of Ten Hag and his bringing discipline to the dressing room and how that was much needed and how things really are improving at United. The big difference, when you mentioned Paul Pogba, is that when players go away on international break now we don't have to worry about these cryptic interviews where he's talking about this or talking about that because Paul Pogba dropped interviews about Real Madrid several times whilst away with France and it seemed like every time he was going away on international break he was using that time to kind of you know build up this opera in the media for him and Rayola to kind of forecast the move away now I don't think it really worked out in their favour you know he said in his documentary that United offered him nothing and he ended up getting less at Juventus. He's hardly played because of an injury in his World Cup. Hopes are in real doubt now. Um, it's worked out as a bit of a disaster for him. But that's one thing, Sean. It's a real positive from this international break. We don't have to worry about Pogba running his mouth anymore. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That was the, the main focal point of where I was going with that. I mean, for the first time in a long, long time, you look at the squad and you look at the international players that are going away. We, we don't have a whole lot that we have to worry about, if anything, to be perfectly honest. I mean, 
if there was one concern or one gripe, maybe it's what Ronaldo is going to do when he's away after what's happening during after what's happening in the in the off season. But you've got players like Pogba and Bailly are no longer at the club. Dean Henderson is obviously gone as well. Jesse Lingard is gone. These are the type of normal figures that we would have associated drama and off the field drama and. I suppose, unwarranted interviews with uh, publications that are less desirable. But uh, look, it touch touch wood. They're going away and everyone is injury-free and everybody seems happy and there seems to be an air of positivity around the club. So long may it last. Who's been your most improved player so far? I think that's kind of a, a similar question as to who I feel has been the best player, because I think there's a, there's a couple of players you could make mention to. I mean, for me, I suppose the largest one based on something that I wrote about recently would be Diogo Dallo, quite simply because I think he's been given a pretty strong run in the first team for really the first time in his career at United. You know, he's sort of established himself as the starting right back. And with that, consistency in, in games has come consistency in performances. And not only has he become part of a back four that is solidifying a lot of relations and they have a good bond and they're, they're really growing as a unit. When you consider taking Dallo against other real top-class fullbacks, he's comparable and bettering the likes of Joe Cancelo in various different metrics that fullbacks are measured on. Now, I know that different teams can facilitate different instructions and setups to be able to achieve a result and Manchester City play entirely different football to Manchester United. But a fullback still has to be measured in some sort of metric against another fullback. And Diogo Dallo is outperforming Joe Cancelo in a number of key metrics. I think he's been fantastic. And that has really been testament as well. We're talking about good attitude from Malasia and what he's saying when he's going to weigh in international duty. And we're talking about the attitudes. It's not so long ago Dallo is after coming out and he's after making reference to how he and the group of players can be the players that make Manchester United great again. That's a that's an absolute elite mentality to have off the pitch. And that's what you want in the dressing room. So I think that has really captivated me this year. Not only his performances, but the mentality that he appears to have in the back room as well. Well, I think going on what he just you said that he said, um, that to come out and say something of that after what he has witnessed since he's joined United is a real statement because he's only ever really witnessed United, you know, be very, very poor since he's come to the club and only after one season we finished second, but he wasn't a, a vocal point in that team. You couldn't say. It's only kind of now where he's kind of really getting to witness what it's like to be a regular at Man United. And I think he's done a really, really good job at that. There was lots of talk that we needed a new right back in, in the summer. Um, I, I still think we, we, we definitely need better cover. Um, Dallow definitely needs better competition because I don't trust Wan-Bissak at all. If Dallow was to get injured, I really fear for the worst. I actually think, I, I don't think Wan-Bissak will get into the team even if, if Dallow got injured. I think he's such like an antichrist to what Ten Hag wants in a fullback that there's just no hope. No, no, I would agree. I don't think there's any hope for him whatsoever. I mean, when you look at that Sociedad game, I think I might be incorrect at this, but I thought he was on compassionate leave for the Sociedad game and he wasn't available. But correct me if I'm wrong, was he not on the subs bench for that? I don't think he was on the subs bench. Am I wrong in saying that so? Okay. Um, well, I, I agree totally in what you're saying. It's it's almost like 
you like he would have a blueprint and how he would have a blueprint as to what he wants in each particular position. And I think Wambasaka probably ticks none of his boxes. So I think his his days are numbered and it's more so now a situation of them finding a, a suitable club for a suitable price for him. That's why I was surprised by Owl's report on deadline day that United were kind of pushing back um offers from two Premier League clubs to Wambasaka because it's just I just don't find a way for him back into the team and he is a young player. He really needs to be thinking about the rest of his career right now, if you ask me. Um, but another question that we actually got sent in, Sean, which is a good one. What just one of two questions. What has Tang Hag got right? So one thing you think he's really kind of stood out and got right. Well, I suppose the most outstanding point that I could say about this in his very short tenure, it's almost sort of a how he has corrected an issue that he made himself. And if you take the first two games of the season, we had a situation where our midfield trio had Christian Eriksen playing furthest back and McTominay sort of lodged in that sort of an eight with more of an attacking capacity. And what you had was two players who have deficiencies in certain parts of their game, Eriksen not being the, the strongest, the most physically imposing type of player, and McTominay not having the greatest passing range of, of the midfielders. And ultimately, those weaknesses were really emphasized by Brighton and Brentford, and we paid the price as a result. Since those games, their roles and their positions in the squad have been changed. McTominay has come further back. Ericsson has gone into that eight, and Ericsson has been given a free roam to be able to play make and to be able to orchestrate what's going on in the team. Whereas McTominay, who has been absolutely out of this world, has got a responsibility of being that sort of that transition between defense and attack. And now, instead of having Fred alongside him in that double pivot, he has an outlet in Ericsson where he can just off pass, like a, a short pass mm. to. And Ericsson is the one who is dictating play with long passes that McTominay was really and truly just not settled with. And what you have in that now is you have balance. And I think that's the key thing. He's Ten Hag set up with the, with the, with the view of having... Ericsson being that foil between defence and midfield, it didn't work. He corrected it within two games, and now the squad the squad looks balanced. And to me, that's the the biggest brownie point that I can say about Ten Hag thus far. Mine's is quite similar again, Sean. It's the midfield combinations because it's been years since I think we've been able to settle on a midfield combination of any sorts. Um, do you know it's, it's United fans have been crying out for midfield additions for years. I think the really nice thing about this is that it took a free signing someone yeah. that can cost us anything to really make a huge difference you know i i think it you kind of mentioned the kind of sw the switch around of, of the of mctominay and say erickson it made me think a little bit about what ten hag wanted to do in the summer by bringing in frankie de young because watching some of the passes we've seen from erickson and um, this season I kind of beginning to question if we would see that from Frankie De Jong, to be honest, because Ericsson's been so, so good. Um, you, we brought in a player for free. Obviously, they had Premier League background experience in the top flight. And I just think that is really valuable because from reading some of the pundits that have been covering Ericsson longer than we have um, down in London and, and bits and bobs, I think a lot of them are kind of suggesting that what he is doing right now is he's showing that his game is even progressing still at this stage of his career i know he had the the serious um heart issue and he's a he's a 30 year old player 
but it, it, it's not that he's kind of showing what he did previously. It's showing that he's still getting better as a player. I think that's that that really marks how how, how good of a piece of business this was for United. I think this is one of the best signings we have made in a long, long time. And I'm saying that knowing what we've already discussed and that we've got Lissandra Martin is in there, we've got Varane in there, we've got Malassi in there. All amazing players who are who are doing brilliant. Ericsson is, like I know it's it's very sort of maybe corny to say it, but he could very well be that important jigsaw piece that the squad was missing. You know, he's that player that links defense and attack, and he just he orchestrates the entire flow of our play. Even if you look at that tremendous goal that we scored against Arsenal, the one where every single player on the, on the field touched the ball. Yeah, he dictated and, the tempo of that. He dictated the tempo totally, and uh, there, there was complete structure in working the ball back to him, and then in the blink of an eye, he split the entire midfield at one pass, and it opened it up. I, I Look... We spoke about him months and months ago about how he would have been a shrewd acquisition instead of Juan Mata. I knew he was going to be a good player. He's he like Mart Martinez has completely exceeded exceeded my expectation. Just on that, because just I think to kind of picture what you're saying, we suggest that he would have came in as a decent replacement for Juan Mata when mm. in truth, what his influence has been. Has probably been a decent or first replacement of Paul Scholes. Would that not it, be more fair yeah. than, 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 than saying one matter? Is one matter not a bit of a no offense? I loved one matter, but the influence that he is having in midfield, I would say, is more in parallel to Paul Scholes than it would be one matter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What what he is doing in the team at this moment in time is comparable to what Scholes and even Michael Carrick would have done. It's, it's, it's a control and it's a sense of calmness in the midfield. And it's, it's confidence in his ability that he knows he can pick out a pass. And that's what Goldie and Carrick had. And um, it's the first time in so long that we've had a player. And that's why he's playing so much. That's why I couldn't get over at the start of the season. People are talking about how he's going to be rotated and he's going to be a, a backup player for Bruno. And I mean, it was just something I, I, I could see so soon into his, into his United tenure that no, no, this is a guy now who's going to be the absolute linchpin in this entire <laughs> team. You know, this is sensational. And I don't care that he was free. I don't, that doesn't bother me in any way, shape or form. I like that more. Yeah, yeah, so do I. I like that more. It's like, it's, it's like getting a, a free bag of chips that taste better or someone else's <laughs> chips that taste better. <laughs> like, I mean, you're talking about a guy that at 30 years of age is the definition of Premier League proven with the amount of time that he has spent there. He's obviously adapted his game as you've made reference to, and like it's it. You remember it's that whole comparable thing with Scholes? He used to play really, really far advanced up the field, and as he got older, he dropped back and he started dictating things an awful lot more. Ericsson isn't even at that stage; he's just completing it with consummate ease. And it's like I I, I tweeted when I was like. I was I was very very pleased at what I was seeing at the time, and I was extremely happy that you know we were playing something that resembled proper football again. And I just tweeted, "He's just such a beautiful footballer." And I can't remember the last time that I tweeted something like that. But Ericsson is just—he's <laughs> a beautiful, beautiful footballer. What he does with the football, I mean, the way he's playing right now—if you gave the option to any Premier League side to say, "Do you want this guy in your midfield?" Oh, There's nobody. Anyone would take him. 
anybody would take him. Like he would he would fit in Manchester City's midfield the way he's Absolutely playing. Absolutely, he would. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, that's why I'm surprised they weren't interested in him in the summer, especially when we're talking about this being a free signing. Um, but on that note, we we both kind of touched on the midfield combinations that have really kind of Ten Hag has got right. Um, here's another one of those two questions: What can Ten Hag do better? Okay, if I was to have one real go at it, I would say to maybe utilize the squad a little bit more. And the reason being, I, I, I love I love continuity and I love consistency in selection. But there has to be a little bit more, I think, a little bit more adjustment and a little bit of rotation because we saw against Sassiadad just how cold a lot of those players were when they came in. So maybe that that that's what I would say. Maybe utilize the squad a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a criticism we had during his time at Ajax as well. Um, and one that I had was that we're we're still not playing his preferred way. I know you could say in patch the games where we played really really well, and it's been improved, and the midfield is better. We're not losing balls in midfield, but I think we're playing far more high ball high balls than Ten Hag would like. I think a lot of this comes down to the goalkeeper, um, which I think is something that will need to be addressed definitely next summer. I think it also comes down to the fact he's not had all of his attacking players available at once. A big factor because we've had to kind of nearly settle on having Ronaldo up top and that's not working. I know Ronaldo scored last time out. It was his first goal of the season from a penalty as well. But that he's not working in the current system. Right? And I, I don't think... It's going to fare out well over the course of the, the season. Um, so I, I don't think we're playing Ten Hag's way. Yeah, go ahead. Just a touch on that. I mean, how many times have you seen a system where you've had a player, i.e. Ronaldo, coming in number nine, and you have to get a player in the calibre of Fred to play a number 10 to be able to make up for the lack of work rate that Ronaldo is doing? Yeah, it says it all. And I think that, <coughs> excuse me, I think that takes away it too from Ten Hag system because they're you're only utilizing a player to suit another player. It's not really eleven players versus eleven then, you know, or ten outfield players versus ten. Um, you're trying to facilitate someone where if you have your preferred options, I think if, if Martial had been fit um for the start of the season, you would have seen him lead the line and he would have been far better suited. So I just think that's one misfortunate thing, but yeah, the, the one thing I think Ten Hag could do better is um, to adapt his own preferred, preferred style, but I don't think that's possible, Sean, until the goalkeeping situation is addressed. Um, definitely, definitely. He's not Black. comfortable enough with the ball at his feet. It's very clear to see. I think the players around him are not comfortable when it's at his feet either. Um, you can see from some of the kickouts outs being taken from Martinez or Varane, um, which... I, you only have you won't you should only do, be doing that if you have to do it, and the fact that Manchester United have to be doing that, I think that that's an issue. Other teams can see that, and in games that we've struggled in this season, you've, it's been pretty evident how how hard we've been pushed, and they're pushing the hay into mistakes, knowing that he either kick the ball out of play or lose possession, um, and that's something that needs to be addressed. You have to tread very carefully with your criticism of David de Gea in this day and age, unfortunately, but. <laughs> For all for all for all the good that he has brought to the club and for the 
the the highlight reel saves that he continues to pull off because you can be guaranteed he's going to pull off those saves because that's his that's his bread and butter. I mean, all you have to do is look at the statistics of balls played forward from defense, and they have increased like they've gone from twenty to twenty five percent over the opening two games to actually hitting the high eighties to early nineties against Liverpool, and that that tells you all you need to know. And fair enough, I know you could look at Liverpool as a one-off game and say that the manager maybe altered his tactics to be able to to work upon a weakness in Liverpool's side. But that has continued through the running games thereafter. And look, at, it's, 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 it's something that I've been harping on for quite some time about. And we need to have that bit of distribution coming from the back because it will allow Ten Hag to be able to fully implement his style and tactics. And... Yeah. I I seen sorry I seen some stats this yep. week that um we actually have one of the deeper or deepest lines in the Premier League so, so our sorry, line yeah. our line hasn't been able to push over downward I think oh, which team is it we're downward uh, Everton Everton I think yeah it's really really poor um Arsenal at the highest line then City I think Leeds are third but it, it, it's telling that the the teams that are kind of um, performing the best have the have the highest of lines, and I think it's something that I expected Ten Hag to come in with. But I think it's quite difficult to do that when your goalkeeper is not comfortable or his distribution isn't very good. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, but look, he can he can only work with what he has, and what he has at the moment is that it'd be interesting to see when Dubravka comes in if he can actually supply any sort of differential with regards to distribution but at this moment in time i think the biggest killer is obviously the fact that we're going to have so many weeks without a game because you're going from i suppose sitting down waiting to play to facing off against city and you know it's 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 all all guns then at that stage but look i don't think there's too much i suppose point focusing on what we can't do with De Gea because ultimately that's what he has at this moment in time. And we'll see just how good of a tactician he is to be able to amend his, his structure for the remainder of the season. Or, alternatively, we'll see maybe Dubravka getting an opportunity. We could be sticking to the hair with this question. Um, what player do we need urgently in the transfer window? Yeah, yeah, we, we will be sticking with the hair. <laughs> That's, that, to me, is what we need. We need a ball-playing goalkeeper. And we've needed a ball-playing goalkeeper for quite some time. Can I just say, though, because I think it's a fascination with ball-playing goalkeepers that some people out there will ex- will accept any old fucking kind. Like, I've heard some people suggest that they'd rather have Aaron Ramsdale than De Gea. And I understand that he's a better ball-playing goalkeeper, but he does not cut, cut the mustard for me as it kind of comes to an actual goalkeeper. You know that we have to get someone in that's very, very good. Well, I mean, if you even if you just look at United against Arsenal this season, it's something that you and I actually spoke about at the time. How many times did Ramsdale yeah. pick out the, the right fullback with that nice little, just a dinked little Dink lob pass. pass over and over and over again? He picked it out. And you might say, well, it's a simple pass. He should be able to do it. But then I turn your attention to David De Gea and say, why can't he do it? You know, so it, that, that, that to me says enough because it's not like, 
Diogo Dallo and Malassia aren't pushing far enough forward that they could receive those balls because they are. It's just a situation that you have a guy who's not confident enough in his ability to be able to do so, or he doesn't have the ability to be able to do it. For me, I went for a centre-forward, Sean. I think the team right now desperately needs centre-forward. I totally agree with you when it comes to a goalkeeper. But looking at Ronaldo, he's kicking on. We knew that was the case in the summer. Um, I don't think he fits the system. I think Martial, something I said in one of the earlier season podcasts, is that I, I, I don't think we can rely on him. Um, and there's only further evidence of that. The latest report suggests that the medical staff are, are quite wary of this injury um, and are, are treating it cautiously. So that's not good. Um, so I think, yeah, we desperately need a centre forward. I don't know where we get one in January, but we should be in the market looking because there was a number of centre forwards signed last January, which I think were, were good boys. So we should we should be looking around Europe um, without a shadow of a doubt. Sean, before we wrap it up, what are your hopes for the season? From what you've seen so far, what do you think this Man United team can go on and do under Eric Ten Hag in his first season in charge? Well, I would like to say that my hope for the season, with his, like in his first season, would be mm. to finish in the top four, remaining competitive, and to win a cup. And that's not lowering the standard. That's just realizing where we are as a team and that this is, would be his first season in charge. And if he can achieve... Uh, return to Champions League football via top four and also win a cup. That's an extremely successful season for me. I went, yeah, cup and top four. I think we will get top four. I do think we get top four. I think what we're seeing with Arsenal will implode. Um, oh, I, I agree. Uh, like the, the, their, their squad is not big enough. With the Europa League games now starting, especially when we come back after the international break, when it's literally Europa League, League, Europa League, League, Europa League. League. That is when that Arsenal squad is going to stretch. That's when that Arsenal squad is going to get into big, big problems. And long, I can't wait for it. I'm longing for it. I cannot wait. Let me tell you this. I spoke with an Arsenal fan last night. And you're talking about a side that have played, I think, is it seven games they've played? In the seven games that they have played, they have played two of the newly promoted sides. Yeah. They have played Aston Villa. Before they played us, they played no one. Yeah, they played Aston Villa, who were literally struggling like they only got their second win there recently and they were very fortunate to do so. They played Leicester City, who have one point in seven. They played a Crystal Palace side at the start of the year that they did beat 2-0, but they were incredibly fortuitous to beat that Crystal Palace side. And another day, Palace win that game. So I know you can only beat what's in front of you, and it is incredibly impressive to be top after seven games and have those points. But people seem to be forgetting something. Maybe it's because there's so long has passed now since Wenger is gone that, I don't know, have they just banished it? But Arsenal, to me, are playing the exact same football right now that they played under Wenger. They're very, very aesthetically pleasing on the eye. They're beating the teams underneath them that they should beat. They come and they play United. They play that that, that lovely, attractive brand of football and they get hit in the counter-attack. Like, <laughs> I, I, I said it last night that that 3-1 win that we had over them, that game could have been 15 years ago because we have been doing the same thing to Arsenal for nearly two decades. And they just never learn. And to me, this side right now, I'm sure, look, if, if we're Arsenal supporters, I can understand why they're, why they're pleased. You know, things look good. They're top of the league. And it's a little hint of a taste of something for them. But this is the exact same Arsenal side that Wenger managed year after year after year. The only difference is 
this side can't get Champions League football. So, I mean, they were unhappy because they were perennially f- coming fourth place and getting Champions League football. They I don't think they're going to get top four. No, no, I don't either. I really don't. I really don't. <laughs> I really, and I'm putting my neck out saying that. They're top of the league right now. I can see them. As I said, squad stretching. I can see them missing out on top four. And and that really should be the nail in the coffin for Arteta if, if, they, if they don't get top four again this season. because They're playing Spurs next, aren't they? Yeah, watch, watch it. It'll all start to melt down now. And because um, uh, I'm, I'm only touching on this because I um, replied to one of Jay Motti's tweets the other night. Um, okay. He posted something on Twitter about Arsenal, and he didn't he didn't tag any Arsenal fans or anything. So I replied to the tweet, suggesting that I could not wait for everything to implode. Now, what I wasn't expecting was that Jay Motti has loads of people following him that support Arsenal. Uh, they were not happy. My mentions were just going insane with Arsenal fans. And, like, they are so triggered. Oh, yeah. When it, when, it, when it comes to fans right now in the league, Arsenal fans are unbelievably triggered. It's fucking hilarious. Anyway, that was one of my positives of the weekend because United weren't playing, of course. Um, but yeah, Sean, thanks for joining me again for the podcast. My pleasure, and, uh, my man. And I hope all is well. We'll have to get on Jan again before the end of the international break to preview the derby. Um, so yeah, how can people follow you on Twitter, Sean? At Sean Connolly85, S H A U N. Great, and you can follow us at Stretty News. Thanks for listening, and you'll hear from us again soon. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.